Welcome to Not Enough Champagne, a podcast whose co-hosts work in lockstep together. My name is Corey Hazelhurst, and that's why I've had to fire my partner in propaganda, Steve Haynes. Uh, please don't fire me. Um, hi, Corey. So it's not just the wheels that have fallen off this trusted premiership, not even the hubcaps are left on the vehicle. Let's look underneath the bonnet of this crisis. Was it inevitable? And is there a way back? Liz Truss fired her chancellor in a bid to reassure the markets and her party. How's that gone? I mean, not not particularly great. I think is the the best way to summarise it. Uh, as of this morning, the new chancellor Jeremy Hunt, um, who came out of nowhere as an as, a, as an appointee, um, basically was doing all of the Sunday news programmes and turned around and said, yes, all of that mini budget is basically not going to happen. Not in so many words, but you read between, some of the things were quite explicit and that, no, we're not doing this, no, we're not doing this. Others, he was a bit less certain on the future of, like the um, the cuts to the basic rate of uh, income tax and things like that. Um, but the general status is we are getting a full budget at the end of the month now. Um, which will determine what, what the policy proposals are going to be moving forward, which for Liz Truss is in many ways disastrous because her entire economic agenda has gone up in flames. Her new chan- She's had to fire the chancellor that was in favour of it, and the new chancellor isn't playing ball with actively... Uh, you know, courting a similar narrative. So I don't think there are any real wins for her in this at all. I suppose no, the, the bad news is that Liz Truss's economic plans are all in tatters and can't be implemented. The good news is that Liz Truss's economic plans are all in tatters and can't be implemented. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, given they weren't very good anyway. And so one of the things I think we said we might talk about is, is this a sort of structural issue with with British capitalism, I suppose. I, you know that political news is cutting through when the chess club WhatsApp group starts talking about politics. Oh, wow. Uh, and, uh, with all of the memes. And someone in there was talking about how Liz Truss was forced to U-turn by the establishment, um, which is an interesting way of putting it because it just feels like actually for the last... Uh, 25 30 years we've had a bit of an economic consensus where well essentially governments have to show how they're going to spend money don't they yeah you know, even john mcdonnell and jeremy corbyn in their budgets made sure it was costed you've got institutions like the obr which have been set up you've got sort of independent bank of england and regulators and to essentially you've essentially had a government that refused to engage in a reality-based debate in economics and instead thought the Laffer curve was a thing 
and just wanted to fire any civil servants that disagreed with them, really. Yeah, I mean, what I would say, your uh, your, your chess club uh, WhatsApp kind of talking about uh, the establishment. They're, they're behind on their lingo. It's the anti-growth coalition now. That's, that's who's behind everything. Well, presumably Liz Truss is now part of the anti-growth coalition. I mean, she's uh, opposing her own policies and making sure they don't go through. So we can only conclude that must be the case. And Jeremy Hunt right, recently ran for leader on a programme to cut corporation tax, I believe, to 15%. Something like that, yeah. But now to reassure the markets, it's being raised to 25%. Yep. When it was going to get cut to 19%. Yep. I genuinely don't know what the government's economic policy is at the moment. Uh, they don't know what it is either. Uh, and to be like, you won't hear me say this very often, but to be fair to Jeremy Hunt, um, he's been in the job, what, less than 48 hours and was basically having to go out and uh, clean up uh, Quasi Quarteng and Liz Truss's mess. You were never going to get a fully costed or even any serious kind of like policy proposals or any meaty um, uh, substantial uh, suggestions from them 48 hours after the government's done a screeching U-turn on on the pretty much, I think at this point, the only real policies they've actually put forward in any form, because I don't think they've really put forward anything else, have they? Um, Uh, Unless you count the stuff that Sir Bremen's coming out with, but... But, but, but even then, that's been partially being swatted down by Liz Truss's team anyway. Um, so I don't think even that counts. So really, the only policy agenda they they put forth has been U-turned on. And Jeremy Hunt's been left there with the broom trying to desperately clean up the uh, uh, clean up the mess. And this is the plan that Liz Truss explicitly ran and won the leadership election on as well. Yep. Mm-hmm. All of this is um, just absolutely ridiculous. And, and I think... What's, what's important so you you talked about briefly then like was this inevitable because of like the way that british capitalism is is set up but i think the answer to that is no because if you actually listen to an awful lot of business leaders they don't want any of this stuff um like there are a number of business leaders now who are basically coming out and saying look of the two parties labor's the one that's actually talking actual sense on economic growth and, and policies and things like that um, if you look at obviously the market's reactions to the policies, this is not what the markets want. This is not what like uh, businesses want. It does not create a stable um, situation for investment. So, is this a, a crisis that was inevitable because of British capitalism? There's an awful lot of problems with British capitalism, but this is not one of them. What this is is just a hundred percent the hopefully the final goddamn stages of the Tory psychodrama that was unleashed ever since Brexit. Well, quite. So I, I suppose I suppose what I'm getting at with the establishment quote is this, this sort of view of people are cheering on now that the financial markets have forced a government into a U-turn. And will that be the same reaction if they were to block a Labour government from doing something similar? I, I suppose the point is that what I was making is well, a, a, a Labour government wouldn't do this because a Labour government doesn't degree doesn't believe in trickle down economics yeah. and wouldn't borrow on unfunded tax cuts. Yeah, if 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 a Labour government was had basically done what Kwarteng did, which was basically make a series of huge, huge um, costing um, policies with no indication as to how it would be paid for over the medium to long term, let alone the short term. Um, and, you know, you know, no 
no facts, no figures, no models for growth and indicating how all of it kind of functions and how it would, um, you know, generate growth, the markets would react almost certainly in the exact same way. Um, would we be very happy uh, would, if somehow we something Labour was doing something similar? I, I think we'd be seeing a very similar result in terms of like the economic, the, you know, the drops in the power, the value of the pound and all of those sorts of stuff. But Labour wouldn't be allowed to or wouldn't be allowed to get to that point because, as you say, if we come up with even stuff that's costed, people say, well, how are you going to pay for it? Well, because the media would, would run with that far, far more willingly than, than they do with the Tories. As such, the Tories just thought they thought that the media was the markets and that if they could get away with it politically uh, in, in Britain, everything else would be fine. Turns out markets don't give a crap about the politics. They only care about the economics. And when you can't make a case for your economics, bye-bye. Well, quite. And you, there were a number of economists and a number of politicians in the 2010s when the Cameron government, in coalition with the Dems, was implementing austerity, who were making the point that actually interest rates are low, it's cheap for the government to borrow, it, you, it's perfectly okay to borrow a lot of money to stimulate the economy in growth in a, in a very Keynesian way. But what you, as yeah, as you say, it's a, it's a very different kettle of fish to if you are just going to cut taxes, increase borrowing, say you're not going to cut government spending at a very weird PMQs, um, and then have no plan to pay it back. And again, it's it's the fact you've had a when it was easy for governments to borrow money, money was cut from the budget, and people said, and, and the justification was that we would end up, you know, people like George Osborne saying we'd end up like Greece. I remember Nick Clegg talking about the amount that we were spending in just to service the debt. Now, when actually it's quite expensive to borrow, inflation, yeah, okay, inflation's going up everywhere, interest rates are going up everywhere. But the UK, well, the UK government's making it so much worse for us here by their policies. And and the other and the other thing is Brexit, isn't it? So I think in terms of inevitability, I don't know what you think about it, but you think about where Theresa May's red lines were on Brexit, about having to leave the single market, about having to leave the customs union, about that sort of argument that Britain had to leave the EU to sort of shackle itself from these regulations. I, I think, I don't know how inevitable you think it was that that Brexit gets us to this point. I think... I don't know if it's it was inevitable, but there was a like I, I struggle to see circumstances where we we diverge from from this course at this point. Because the minute um, May made those her red lines, she locked herself into a certain type of Brexit, which then sets the rest of the balls rolling to basically get us where we are. Because she's that that's what that's ultimately what costs her her premiership, which brings in Johnson, which brings in all of everything else that we saw and ultimately brings in, in, in trust. So, yeah, I think May's red lines probably are a, a good kind of like, for lack of a better term, start point for this sort of analysis. You know, if, we, if this was a, you know, a, a GCSE or A-level history paper. You know, We're nowhere near that well-informed, Steve. 
you know, you'd be talking about um, what are the causes of, you know, the fall of the trust government. Um, you could probably go go much like uh, with uh, the rise of the Nazis. You go back to the Treaty of Versailles. You could go all the way back to uh, to to May May's red lines, probably actually as one of the core ones, because if she'd chosen slightly different different red lines or you know she somehow had uh, found herself in a position where she was in favor of i don't know customs union membership or single market access one of the two not even necessarily both you end up with a very different situation overall um now whether or not that would have been politically feasible is, is another question but like we, we are where we are because of those red lines i think but I, yeah i so I think May and trust, it's two quite different things, isn't it? That actually, so both have tried to appease the Brexit ultras. And it is that really fundamentalist IEA, uh, neoliberal wing of the Tory party. Um, Just as an aside, actually, um, the anti-growth coalition bit in Trust's conference speech reminded me of Tony Blair's forces of conservatism speech that he made. I... Uh, the, the full text is online if you Google it. And it is uh, reading it now is really interesting, partly because at one point Tony Blair quips about how uh, he, people are comparing me to Milosevic and Hitler. Maybe they think I should be indicted for war crimes, which in hindsight, <laughs> this is from 1999, very on the nose. But it also talks about uh, how the Tory party have been taken over by right-wing extremists like John Redwood and Anne Widdicombe, <laughs> Michael Portillo and William Hay, um, which I think is kind of interesting. But the fact that May does essentially could have reached out to a soft Brexit, kept Britain in the single market, doesn't. Um, I think for a similar reason to trust, which is that they want to appease this faction of Conservative MPs. And, I mean, we talked, when we talked about the, the, the end of Boris Johnson, that Theresa May was the worst Prime Minister we could have had negotiated the Brexit deal because May was the sort of Tory tribalist who was never going to really be a cross-party politician in the way that you could maybe see someone like Cameron being who quite liked working with the Lib Dems. Or even, even in some ways, potentially Johnson, who just wanted to, you know, get, get a nice big symbolic win. And would have happily burnt his political capital on it if it meant that everybody liked him, you know. Um, yeah. You know, in, in, in some ways, perhaps uh, Michael Gove is the root cause of all of this because he uh, stabbed Johnson in the back during that leadership election. But I suppose don't blame Michael Gove. And I suppose it depends, sort of. Yeah, I think the other similarity actually it depends who is elevated you because then Johnson has to rely on the votes of these Tory MPs to get to number ten, and so doesn't really have a choice to deviate from that Brexit deal either. And it, yeah. and just, yeah, uses the May one to get things done. But I think May and Trust also quite similarly, you've got May could have had the political space to do it had she wanted to. Trust thought she had, and again, Steve Richards has made this point, Trust thought she had the political space to enact big, bold reforms and wanted to do things to, you know, was happy to be unpopular. And actually that's worked out pretty well for her, you know, We've never seen as an unpopular prime minister. But the problem is that she didn't really have that space because she had got a small majority of the membership. She got a small proportion of the MPs. You don't have the political capital. 
or the electoral mandate for this. And when Laura Koonsberg asked about the lack of an electoral, electoral mandate, seems to not understand the question. Again, I wonder if it's it, that sort of leads us to, is it just a structural problem with the Conservative Party? And again, we talked about this on the episode that we, we recorded a couple of weeks ago then because life is mad. It only went out on Friday. Sorry about that, listeners. But the, the fact that that one nation moderate wing of the Conservative Party has essentially been purged. OK, yeah, J- Jeremy Hunt has been um, he's like the token sensible man in the room, um, you know, after his sterling record of managing the health service so effectively for all those years. And so you do, you have a Conservative Party which has got high on IEA pamphlets, but hasn't quite realised that you can't really do Thatcherism when you haven't got North Sea oil money and you've already privatised everything so you've got no way of raising any cash. Yeah, pretty pretty much. I mean, I think there's... Uh, I think it was... Um, I think in the Times today, it was uh, Sarah Vine basically wrote a piece which was essentially uh, saying... The Conservative Party's obsession with Thatcher is why we're going through all of this is because they just can't seem to to get over her and what she did. And we've talked about that, mm. I think, a, a reasonable amount on the podcast, so there's no need to rehash that, that, that conversation. But I think in terms of the Conservative Party, that is a major part of all of this in that they haven't gotten over Thatcher. Uh, and as a result they just want to do it all again because it's ultimately the only thing that because of the age i think of a lot of their mps as well um at least a lot of though that that certain type of iea pamphlet waving mps um they're just in 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 in, in, in for lack of better, I mean Thatcher's pocket. Like that, that's that's their saint. They've beatified her, uh, and so of course they need to do what Thatcher did. And it's just like it's just taken as an article of faith that this will this will function. And like you can see it massively in in, in like the headlines for for, for for like some of the you know the Telegraph comment writers like Alistair Heath, who's very much of that ilk. In terms of like his positioning in, in 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 the economic debate, as well as the right sort of age, I think uh, maybe he's a bit on the younger side of that cohort, but he's very much still a part of that grouping. Where it's just harking back to Thatcher, Thatcherite policies, um, attacking anybody who who even questions the validity of a single thing. Still to this day, despite the fact that it's become an absolute joke joke of a statement. Utilizing the phrase anti-growth coalition in a serious context, because it's the only thing they've got going for them at the moment, and so many of them are seeing their everything they've wanted to ever try and do just go up in smoke before their eyes, because it wasn't going to work. But you could have all you could have certainly seen a situation where a more competent handling of the situation might have resulted in a less extreme kickback in which case they might have been able to go oh no it's all right like we, we just need to give it time we just need to give it time whilst now they're going we can't even have time because the politics don't add up the people that we've got who back us are proving themselves incompetent and there's no one in the wings waiting to be the next leader that would be willing to to push forward with this now 
because it, it would be political suicide. Well, and also the structural problem of the Tory party, just to talk about this, in terms of who's the next leader, part of the problem is there is no unity candidate. There is no unity candidate and they've got to get it past the membership anyway. So you've got all kinds of debates happening apparently amongst Tory MPs about what to do. Can we change the rules so that we don't have to have a vote of the members? You know, can but uh, you know all of that sort of stuff. Which is, if you're having that sort of discussion, then you are in a terrible place from a from a structural perspective. They are in a terrible place. I, I don't. I can just about see that there is a potential path to maybe some stability the poll you find some way of climbing the markets you uh sort of get the economy back on track you have 18 months of okay-ish growth you go into an election in 2024 say 10 to 15 points in the polls you run an effective election campaign in which you hope that i don't know kit stomach eats a bacon sandwich or something and then you can narrow the gap to say five to ten points, at which point maybe you go in, eke out a majority or in hung parliament territory. But literally everything would have to go right for that to happen. Yeah. And you need a lot of luck, you need a lot of skill. You'd need to hope that the global economic situation improves. And part of think the, the problem is Truss and her team are just phenomenally bad at politics and i think there's a lot of what you've to what you've just said about the fact that you've got the, the britannia and tone people the alistair heath people who've kind of grown up with this really really warped idea of thatcherism and how she was successful but also this really warped idea of free market economics what a free market actually means when there isn't really any such thing as a free market and they essentially just want to do things which just happen to benefit really, really rich people and terrible businesses rather than actually useful businesses. And trust, uh, and actually, I think this is where trust and May are quite similar in that their ministerial roles in cabinet haven't really prepared them to be prime minister very well. And actually, although he's in the much like Gordon Brown's in a high, a much, much higher league than this trust. Even Gordon Brown's got into kind of tenure as chancellor. It didn't really prepare him to be prime minister. And I think Brown and May were quite similar at that in that essentially you just need to know it's the fox and the hedgehog, isn't it? You know, if you're a departmental minister, May at the home office, Brown as chancellor, you just have to know one big thing. Yeah. And you can have a small but loyal team around you and that creates a machine to get stuff done. When you're prime minister and you've got decisions happening every few seconds and it's a quick and an instant response and you tend to be a bit of a micromanager and you can't know all the detail that's often when you can make misjudgments happening and there can be a bit of a state of chaos because it's just impossible to micromanage to the depth that you'd like i mean i think gordon brown tried to by working for 27 hours a day and but yeah. but with trust and again we've talked about this you know it ends up in a safe seat in 2010 in norfolk you haven't really had to show a lot of political acumen really to win that seat. You know, you're not having to really be a great campaigner and a great communicator. And you've seen that. And actually you've not actually had to debate with people who disagree with you 
and you've not really had to take much flack. And you could see that from her press conference, which yeah. just seems to have um, made a bad situation even more dire for her personally. But it's other stuff like, if you're going to have the Chancellor giving a budget or a mini budget or any kind of statement, you probably shouldn't have it on Halloween. That just, I, I know that seems trivial, but that just seems like this is... Well, pop- yeah, from a politics perspective, absolutely, because the, uh, the, the 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 papers of all varieties will have a field day and memorable like headlines for right, involving trick or treat or or or, or, or whatever. Trick or you know. treat economics. That is good. I like that. I yeah. mean, I could think of Halloween themed economics puns, literally. <laughs> <for weeks>. um, <laughs> I've no doubt you could if I maybe had could your time fill a whole podcast version which ones would we choose steve it would be i'd like we, to we withdraw could, we could create a frankenstein monster of an episode made up of old bits of pun anyway but it's also stuff like so they gave jeremy hunt the chance the job not the sag which is annoying because i quite like saying the sag uh, but a member of trust's team then briefs out to it's probably Tim Shipman. It almost always is Tim Shipman. Basically saying, well, Trust was never, like Trust was sat around, Liz has sat around the cabinet table with the Sag. And so she knows who's great and who isn't. And you go, you're gonna need his vote. <laughs> You've already had to U-turn on your major policies because you know you don't have the votes and you know you're going to be essentially begging them from the three different factions that make up the Tory party in parliament at the moment. Don't brief stuff like that to the press. Well, yeah, especially as you've already seemingly briefed to the press or press or it had been leaked to the press that you were considering sacking your chief whip and then didn't sack them. So your chief whip is the person in charge of, you know, herding the chickens and the cats that are the Conservative Party MPs. And they know that you don't particularly like them. Well, what are they going to do? They're not going to go out to bat for you. They're not going to actually do do their job to the best of their ability. Because, like, e- even if they are deeply professional as individuals and they're like, this is my job, I will do my job to the best I can, like, so if someone like Saj is going to turn around and say, no, I'm not going to do it, they're just going to go, all right, well, I'll let them know. Is this not- what quiet quitting is? Yeah, this is this is quiet quitting coming to the Conservative Party uh, front bench and back bench and cabinet and from basically everywhere. The chief whip who quiet quit the new children's book from Dr. Seuss. Um, uh, but it's also so let's just talk about that press conference just briefly, because this had to be a proper masochism press conference, didn't it? And because we are um, deeply, weirdly obsessed British political nerds. Obviously, we think about the West Wing because apart from Britain, America is the only country that really has politics. Hello, Patrick, by the way. And so <clears throat> obviously the, the finest fiction example of the masochism press conference is uh, Arnie Vinick, isn't it? The Alan Alder character and where there's a nuclear power plant thing. I forget what. But essentially, he just stands in a desert in Arizona in about 57 degree heat for six hours and just takes all the questions and knows he has to take every single question and if he takes every single question and goes on for long enough then the press will get bored and go away i know that really isn't how politics should work 
in the same way that actually Jeremy Hunt shouldn't be Chancellor for 16 hours and then going on national television to explain what the hell he's going to do. That it's that part, and this is part of the structure thing, isn't it? Is that politics just doesn't actually work <laughs> governing a country? Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I, you, so you bring up like the Arnold Vinick, um, you know, masochism uh, conference, but just an, an actual real world example of this is David Cameron did it. Like, I can't remember, I think it was to do with the tax affairs or papers concerning his, his dad or something like that there was there was some scandal that he was like attached to or involved with where he just stood up in parliament for about two and a half hours and asked, answered every single question and actually legitimately did answer them from all from back from backbench mps from frontbench mps from his own party from from labor from the lib dems from the smp just went at it time and time again was given the same answer each time because they're all asking the same damn question um but he just did it and did it and did it and did it and it became clear that there was no story here or at least nothing that particularly beyond what initially had been reported and so everything moved on that is what they were clearly trying to do with trust i think but one she's not very good <laughs> at, at press conferences or talking or communication of any sort and two it wasn't the right format for that, as far as I can I can really tell. It was just a bit more of a standard press conference, and therefore it just left well, more questions than answers. Well, it was a hand-picked audience, but then Trust gave the same answer to every single question. Yeah. Yeah, it was very much the... Um, the, the, in, in many ways, the Conservative uh, Party version of Ed Miliband's um, interview at one point where he was asked about like striking workers in some form and just gave her the exact same verbatim robotic respo- response about we need to get everybody back around the table. And he said the same sentence about four or five times in response to every question. In fairness to Ed Miliband, though, that was a pool interview, wasn't it? So essentially he was recording the same sort of 30 second clip, which was going to go out on the news. And so in that sense, you have your line, you're going to put out your line. Okay. Liz Truss has that line, but this is a very different kind of press conference. Yeah. You know, this isn't Liz Truss going to Grimsby to look at the fishing industry and talk about, well, this shows that the government is investing in fishing and disappointing businesses. This is, I've just woolest up in the most goddamn Phil Willis way imaginable. Uh, here is the shovel I'm using to clean it up and to only take four questions and taking them first, I think, from the Telegraph and the Sun, who basically said, why aren't you quitting? And I think she was expecting a maybe nicer answer, but I, I just, maybe just spooked it. And then, as we said before, because she's not had to take, dis- uh, really had to argue or fight disagreements like that before, I guess just sort of wander off. Yeah, and I, and I think the thing is, especially as some of those questions, like the even the question of like why aren't you quitting, like there's a good, a good reasonable response you can actually give to that, where you just talk about do you honestly think now is a good summarising? Do you honestly think now, in the midst of all this market turmoil, is, is a time to add more instability into the mix? No, we're committed to making sure that Britain grows, or yada yada yada. It's not a good response, but it's at least a response. You can do, you can say all of those sorts of things, but she was just incapable of thinking like that or having those sorts of responses. Yeah, you sort of have to, again, you can have the line and use your answer to bridge the line, can't you? Yeah. So 
Yeah, you sort of have to say, look, I was elected Conservative Party leader with their votes and support of MPs and members, and they have full confidence in me to carry on with the job of blah. But yeah, it, yeah it, it's just, it's like, it's like watching a batsman that doesn't have a good forward defensive. It's like watching Zach Crawley trying to open for England. It's like, you, you can't, this, this isn't how it's meant to work. Sorry for no. that cricket reference. Um, <laughs> most of our listeners no, but, will hopefully appreciate it but <laughs> no like you're, you're absolutely right though the I, I do wonder if maybe like after the, the four questions or whatever it was got everything got cut up after that was because somebody was just buying like just off screen basically going Liz wrap it up like this is going terribly Let damage control damage control damage control and like uh, she got handled into like stopping rather than letting it go on and on and on, which would have just made the situation even worse. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Because I wonder if it was... I think it's just a lack of political instinct. And it's, it's weird, because obviously there were conversations before the before she was elected about, you know, should Labour underestimate this trust? And none of this was inevitable in terms of... It, like, Liz Trust does not, should not be 40 days becoming Prime Minister fighting for survival it could be that by the time this podcast comes out on monday 17th of october it would be there could even be reports that 100 mps have put letters in i mean that's one of the rumors that's doing the rounds but it doesn't it, there is no it didn't have to get to this point um you could have just had the energy bailout you didn't have to have them in the budget and i think partly it's almost no one could quite believe she was going to do the stupid things she said she was going to do in the leadership campaign. Yeah, well, I, I, I remember when uh, I recall LJ, like effectively the reaction to the mini budget, like of the original plan that we we had, we were going off of the suggestion of uh, one of the listeners um, to discuss like a number of the, the the various announcements and things that were being talked about during the national morning period, etc., etc., etc. Just seeing what had been leaked out, you know the good days to very bad news and all of that. Um, and then I, I was fine with that as a concept because, yeah, it was a mini budget. It was just going to be a confirmation of the, of the, uh, of, of, of like the, the, the energy policies and maybe a few kind of minor tweaks here and there. Nope, not that at all. They just went at it like a bull in a china shop and didn't even think, think about it. No one expected it, I don't quite think. I'm not even sure the Tory backbenchers expected it to happen this quickly. The cabinet didn't expect it. They didn't talk about it in cabinet. They, they fired the top civil servant. Um, I think Kwarteng is now briefing out, or allies of Kwarteng, apparently saying that actually the 45p, I think it's the 45p decision was trusses all along and trusts overruled Kwarteng on it. It's just... It's I mean, just ultimately, regardless of where individual policies originated, it's all on trust. She could have turned around to Kwarteng and said, no, this isn't what we're doing. And if you don't like it, well, there's the door. Like, like I'm the Prime Minister, you're the Chancellor of the Exchequer, you serve at my leisure. Like, that's 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 how it goes. Um, and, but, and, oh. and because, and again, now, they're even more snookered because a lot of Tory members and MPs voted for this trust because they genuinely believe in the plan. And now she's put Jeremy Hunt in Chancellor, made him 
basically the most unsackable person in government. So I watched the Andrew Neil show uh, just now. Uh, Andrew Neil making the point that you know Jeremy Hunt could try and invade the Isle of Man, and this just have to agree with it because he she can't sack him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, 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 Jeremy Hunt is prime minister in all but name now. I think like he is the person that's calling the shots. She's almost irrelevant. Wow, I feel so reassured now. Well, shall we end on that note of optimism? <laughs> Is it optimism? I don't know anymore. <laughs> I, I, I really want to win the next election, Steve. I, I don't just want to rule over a, bon, a bonfire. <laughs> don't worry. It's only going to be another two years or so. I still think, and maybe we'll talk about this in Patreon, I still think the next election is January 2025. And now yeah. we haven't ended on a note of hope and optimism, which means it's the hey. perfect time <laughs> to, to say, for Patreon. <laughs> if you want more existential despair, listeners, where should you go, Steve? You can go to patreon.com slash not enough champagne, where we, like we will be, I think, just after after we finish recording this episode, we record new, exciting things which go out only to our backers over there. So, uh, yeah, it's all good fun fun and games. Costs you a couple of quid a month. And uh, everything goes to running and covering the costs of this uh, lovely little podcast. Our website's notenoughchampagne.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash notenoughchampagne. James Cram designed our logo. And Dave Depper composed our theme tune, Pookie Good Times. I'm at Paperback Rioter. I'm at Acoustic Radical. Happy plotting. Happy plotting.